ringscoops.com. For over 20 years, the revolutionary force in online professional wrestling media. This is Ring Scoops Now. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, it's time for another podcast right here on ringscoops.com. I'm that Ring Scoops guy, joined with Mac of all. What's going on, Mac? What it do, what it do, what it do. What it... A lot of stuff that went on this last week since we did the last podcast, dude. It's been a crazy week. It's been a crazy week personally for me, professionally for me, and wrestling-wise. So I have a whole ball of energy. So this may be a rare form of McAvoy. If you guys know what the rare form of McAvoy is, you're in for an entertaining show today. Oh, yeah. Shucky, ducky, quack, quack. Quack, quack. Yeah. Uh, You know, I'll tell you. There's a lot of surprises that happened this week in wrestling. Um, a lot of unfortunate incidents that happened this week in, in, in wrestling. But one of the things that I think has flown under the radar in wrestling, I don't even know if you've heard about this or not, but UFC Hall of Famer and former WWE Intercontinental Champion Ken Shamrock We'll be working the Impact Wrestling TV tapings in Las Vegas next month. Hmm. Apparently, Moose has been calling out Ken Shamrock, and Shamrock finally tweeted back to him, saying that he'll be there in Vegas. So this may be a build-up for Bound for Glory. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think that's very good that um, because if you think about it, Ken Shamrock was the first NWA uh, TNA champion. Um, and that was done um, with a concept in a battle royal that I think was something that should be done now, but they don't ever really do this. But their concept during that time period, that battle royal, was that, of course, it was a battle royal. And then once it came down to the last two people, it was a match. Yeah. And the last two people were Ken Shamrock and Jeff Jarrett. So I think it's good that you're reaching out to a guy like Ken Shamrock because it seems like there's a lot of guys, if you really sit down and think about it, that have kind of gone through the cracks. They used to work uh, in the industry and have a pretty big name in the industry at one point in time. And AEW is not looking at them and WWE is not looking at them. So if I'm a company like Impact, which they've been kind of, pretty successful in doing this here recently and getting guys like Scott Steiner and, and, and RVD and Tommy dreamer. And, and, um, well, Tommy dreamer is kind of the exception of the rule. Everyone kind of likes working with Tommy dreamer. He's a very good stand-up guy. Well, he's also the, but, a booker there at, at impact as well. So, yeah, but, um, before he got that job as a booker at impact, um, he worked at AEW. Well, not before that, but, they allowed him to work the AEW Battle Royal. Yeah. And then um, he hasn't been in the WWE doing anything there for a while. But I think at one time he was an agent for the WWE or no? I think so. Um, yeah. After he yeah. retired in what, 2009, right? Yeah, I think so. So um, they're doing a good job of just bringing guys in that people forgot about. Like Conan is a guy that 
you know, has a name mate that's that's huge internationally, but you know, here in the States it may not be as big as compared to Mexico. Yeah. So um I think that's good. Uh I think that will be something that grabs headlines, but if you bring in a Ken Shamrock, you gotta do something with him. You know, you can't just have him in a regular match. You gotta figure out a way how to make headlines. And TNA's done a good job of making headlines with um the Tessa Blanchard feud. Oh yeah. Because I I actually saw the match for that and I was entertained. So um you gotta figure out how to grab headlines like that and remind people that you're here at the party. It's kinda like what's going on right now with these chicken sandwich wars. Right? <laughs> you got the you got the you know, the, the Chick fil A on one side and then you got the newcomer Popeye's chicken on the other side. But then you have Wendy's that are saying, hey, don't forget, we're spicy chicken. We're a totally different breed. So you got to really look at it from that from that standpoint. Speaking of chicken sandwiches, which one do you prefer? I, I haven't had them. I've never had a Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich because when I did have Chick-fil-A, I didn't enjoy it. No? Um, yeah, it's just, it's just really... Would you have like the chicken strips or chicken nuggets or something? I had the chicken nuggets and the waffle fries. And the chicken nuggets, I thought, weren't really that flavorful. But as far as like chicken overall, I really like Popeye's chicken. I love me a Popeye's biscuit sometimes. I'm not a KFC guy. Um, I'm more of a Popeye's guy. Yeah, same here. So if it's the same, if that's the same chicken flavor, then it's going to be great. Yeah. I remember years ago uh, when KFC came out with that double down and I had one of those. I thought that was fantastic. I don't know if you remember that. Um, That was the one that was no, it was just two pieces of chicken or something like that. Yeah, it was like a grilled cheese sandwich with and then it had, bread. It was chicken breasts. That was good. You liked that, huh? Oh, yeah, dude. I absolutely love that. Hmm. I'm a fat guy. There's barely anything that I don't like. I'm like I'm like the king, the king of the drive-thru, man. You know, Ken Shamrock was king of the ring one time, remember? He was king of the ring. Um, 1998. Yeah. Just, and they got the king of the I ring tournament going on right now in the WWE. I just, really, I just really feel that there's certain things that they can do to better. I mean, that's a good segue to better what's going on right now with this whole King of the Ring situation. Um, And I don't know if you had more news before we jump into the King of the Ring, but, you know. No, not really. Just uh, the announcement. What did you think? What did you think about Ken Shamrock? What is is your thoughts on it? I'm excited because I'm going to be there for the Impact tapings in Vegas. And I've always been a big fan of Ken Shamrock. And I've been watching a lot of these old Attitude Era Monday Night Raws back, and like Ken Shamrock is, is a very underrated player from the Attitude Era. I mean, I don't think a lot of people give that man credit um, for what he did for for the company in just those two and a half years that he was with them. Um, you know, everybody's always like, "Oh, you, you know, nobody does anything unless they're like a, a main event guy or a world champion or something like that." But you know, Shamrock never had that world title, but he did. He did a lot of interesting stuff 
the the feud that he had with the rock in 98 was fantastic those guys were always able to put on an entertaining match it was a very memorable feud when he turned and joined the corporation i enjoyed that uh intercontinental title um you know i thought he had a pretty good reign with that and of course if it wasn't for Ken Shamrock, we would have never had the beautiful Ryan Shamrock in WWE back in '99. Um, and well, what was well, what was uh, to, to to not interrupt you? Um, and I let you go back on your rant. Hmm. Um, there was an interview that I read with Ken Shamrock, oddly enough, a few days ago. And in that interview, they were asking him how did he feel that the WWE was kind of like neglecting. And not really acknowledging him because if you think about it, they don't really show any, you know, old vignettes or things with him. They don't really do that, right? Yeah. Um, in terms of acknowledging, like they've acknowledged Steve Blackman before they've acknowledged Kim Shamrock. Mm-hmm. So, what was interesting is Kim said that um, he thinks that he should be in the Hall of Fame, and this is the reason why he gave that. He said before him. Nobody in wrestling was doing the tap out as an ending of a match. Yeah. He said that he brought the tap out to wrestling. And then I thought about that and I said, did he really bring the tap out to wrestling? Because he said, normally it would be like a, I, I, I mean, I guess you could say the aggressive tapping out he brought out yeah. to wrestling. But as far as like, you know, people giving up, you know, they've always like did a little pat on the, you know, the person, the opponent. But did he really bring that to wrestling either? I would, I would say so. Cause I mean, like you said, uh, before it was just like a very slight tap out kind of thing. Um, yeah. Like if somebody was in the sharpshooter or if they were in the figure four, they would they would signal to the ref that they gave up to. Um, it wouldn't be like a crazy tap out. But I, I think I think the, the, the real credit should also go to the type of move that he used, which was the ankle lock. Because that was a situation where you can see so much more of your opponent's body. If you have the sharpshooter, you're twisted up. You're on your stomach. If you're in the figure four, you're laying down. Your legs are all crossed up. But when you're in the ankle lock, the only thing covered is your ankle. The rest of your body, you have to sell that like crazy because your opponent really can't. You know, the guy holding it can't sell it that much. He has to sell it in the facials like Shamrock did. But the uh, the person that is being applied to really has to be the, the driving force of getting that over. So the aggressive tap out, like you said, yeah, I would, I would have to agree with that. I think he brought the aggressive tap out. I think he brought some legitimacy too in terms of athletes crossing over to the WWE um, because he was, you know, a guy that came from a big combat sport. It's not big as it is now because I even think during that time period, I don't even know if Dana White, was the president of UFC at that time. I think he worked for him. I, I don't think know he, he came in in, what, 2001, right? Yeah, I think he might have been associated, but not actually the president of the company. Yeah. But yeah, like, Dana White, um, he 
made UFC this big conglomerate that it is now. In fact, I think the UFC was sold, I think, to the um, the um, two brothers, I forget their last name, um, that they, they purchased the UFC and then they Dana White was brought in and they changed it to be more legitimate because at that time period, they were trying to match all of the sanctions in these different states to be able to have the UFC in these arenas in LA and, and Boston and stuff like that. So there was the ultimate fighting championship, but they weren't promoting it as the UFC at the time. Yeah. So if he, and it was a totally different logo, it was like a strong man logo it wasn't like the UFC red that people see now. It was like the but, stereotypical clip art, like King of the Cage kind of stuff you see on a billboard for a casino or something. Right. Yeah, exactly. So it's like you brought him in during that time period when that was kind of seen as like a kind of an an uprising, outlawish type of sport. Which a lot of people at the time weren't really considering that a sport. Yeah, because I know John McCain used to call it and refer to it as human cockfighting. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And um, I think him and a, and a lot of other senators were against you know them having this period as uh, any type of sport that was in their particular states at that time period. So they did a lot of work to try to reverse engineer this thing and mac- match all the sanctions to try to get the UFC in the arenas and that includes certain strikes that included certain rules, uh, you know, championship rounds, regular rounds. They did a lot to make it legitimate. So Ken Shamrock was brought in during the time where there wasn't a big spotlight on what it is that he did in the ultimate fighting champion because it wasn't as popular as it is now, but he's seen as a legend and in, in, in mixed martial arts. So it would have really been good if maybe down the line, like maybe he came in in a different era or a wrong era, I should say. And let's say he came in now and was, because he, he, he arguably had the popularity in that sport of Conor McGregor Yeah, right now. So Conor McGregor's popularity is is maximized based off of the popularity of the sport, but he basically would have been Conor McGregor in the sport right now, today, if he was that same age, that same record, that same accolades, and he would have been a bigger deal than the WWE. It would have been the equivalent of Brock Lesnar, you know, coming in. Yeah, Um, and that's an interesting point that you bring up Brock Lesnar because Lesnar – has crossed over to MMA the other way around and then made his way back into the pro wrestling world. Right. And at the time, too, back in 98, when Ken Shamrock was at the height of his career, WWE started bringing in uh, you know, some more names from the Ultimate Fight world, like Dan the Beast Severn. Right. And then they had, uh, you, you brought his name up earlier, Steve Blackman having the martial arts gimmick, they really started to like, kind of like embrace that a little bit because I know in like the mid nineties, they tried to give that, like that ultimate fight underground street fighting kind of gimmick to, uh, to the Godfather, Kama Mustafa. 
and it didn't really pan out for him. You know, like it, he just didn't didn't really buy into the character because just I mean, he was a big dude and everything, but it just you know, you just you saw through it. But when mm-hmm. Shamrock showed up, like you said, he just legitimized the whole thing because he actually had that background. Right, and you're bringing in a guy, you're bringing in somebody that has like a totally different mind state and vibe, you know, compared to you know somebody or something else uh, when it comes to uh, wrestling because this was a guy that hurt people for real. Yeah, you know, ABC so, News called him the world's most dangerous man. Right, so he hurt people for real. So now when you bring him in, like the vibe is totally different. That's why when he snapped, it was such a big deal. So it's just a shame that, um, you know, he's not really looked upon um, as a legend in the wrestling business because I think he's done enough to consider that. Absolutely. Um, I think he's done enough to be placed into the Hall of Fame. I mean, Drew Carey is in the Hall of Fame. For- <laughs> so yeah. I think I think he's done enough, you know, to be – place you know in the hall of fame to, to to do things and i think that that's a big pickup by impact um to be able to get a guy like him that will bring some some sort of attention back to their program even if it's just for a little while absolutely i'm looking forward to it like i said always been a fan of ken shamrock um going into the uh tv tapings in las vegas and just what two weeks i believe um, should be interesting. Um, I can't wait. Ken Shamrock, Las Vegas, Sam's Town. If anybody's going out there, hit me up on Twitter at Ring Scoops. Let me know. We can meet up. We can enjoy the show together. Love to meet up with fellow wrestling fans that geek out about wrestling. And yes, Ken sir. Shamrock, a legend and a former King of the Ring. King of the Ring. Drive that back around, King of the Ring. Are you so, as excited about the King of the Ring this week as you were a week ago? No. Okay. No. Explain. Um, I think the first round matches were very weak. Um, they weren't as competitive as I thought they would be. Uh, there were a lot of just, you know, everybody saw the Kevin Owens thing, you know, a mile away. Um, Ricochet just beat Sami Zayn just cleanly. Um, oh, that was Cedric. That, or Cedric, I'm sorry. I'm yeah. sorry. Um, it just really just wasn't anything to write home about the first week. What about always Andrade and Apollo Crews? Um, I think that was a pretty good match. Um, what makes the match competitive to me is you got to give it time. You got to give it false finishes. And I didn't really see that. Um, I didn't think that Andrade, um, I think it was a good match. Now don't get me wrong, but do I think this was something that was groundbreaking to the King of the ring? Uh, or do I think that this was King of the ring? Cause this is supposed to be a different echelon. So the matches are supposed to have an extra different type of feel. And I did see that they try to book that a little bit, like with um, Andrade, like uh, as soon as the match started. No, not Andrade. I'm sorry. Uh, Apollo Crews, as soon as the match started, you know, running on him and hitting him with a, like a vicious clothesline. They did the same thing, too, 
for um I don't know if that was a what match that was. I don't know if there was a match on Raw where they started off like that too. It was like a fast like as soon as the bell rang, then like they ran at each other and, and hit hit a move. I don't, I don't, I uh, Cesaro and Samoa Joe, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think um yeah, Cesaro ran at Joe. Yeah. So I guess they try to show some aggression by that happening, but I just feel like you need to give these matches a little more time, maybe a couple of false finishes, and I think it would have meant more. I just felt like this was just a regular good match the whole tournament so far to me. Yeah. Well, I think the saving grace for that is that it was a first round. It wasn't quarterfinals. So it was almost like qualifying matches. Because I know back in the day when they did the qualifying matches, they weren't really like the best of matches until you actually mm-hmm. got into the actual tournament seed where it started with the quarterfinals. So that may be the case with this one. Because um, if we think about the guys so far that have advanced, right? Samoa Joe's advanced. Cedric has advanced. Elias has advanced. And Andrade has advanced. Their potential opponents, Samoa Joe, can face either Ricochet or Drew McIntyre. So either one of those combinations is going to be a great match. Any combination, well, all right, maybe not any combination. Hopefully The Miz beats Baron Corbin, but Cedric versus The Miz I think would be a great match. Um, Elias versus either Ali or Buddy Murphy I think would be a great match as well, especially against a guy like Buddy Murphy. Um, and then if Andrade, Andrade versus either Shelton Benjamin and Chad Gable, you know those guys are going to tear it down. Chad Gable and Shelton Benjamin are going to tear it down. Yeah, but that's still considered a first round match, and I just hope that they, you know, pick it up because it did. It, it they did seem like they, for the rest of the first round, it did seem like they kind of try to lay, you know, seeds for those matches to be more competitive because they had a tag team match on Raw mm-hmm. uh, with the two first round competitors against each other. Um, so maybe they're it's a precursor to make the you know the the. Remaining matches since they had a little time to build a little backstory um, to, to be more competitive. But, you know, so far I'm just not super impressed. And I guess I do agree with you saying, like, you know, the first round does not need to be ultra competitive. I get that. But for me, the King of the Ring has really lost his credibility. That's why they stopped doing it, I think, because who won the last King of the Ring? Sheamus? Uh, yeah, back in – no, um – I think it was Neville. He beat Bad News Barrett, wasn't it? On a, you know what? I think it was Neville. I think it was Neville. Yeah. Um. That that should kind of tell you, you know, how far it's gone. Not not because Neville's not a good talent. It's just that I didn't remember. And it's really supposed to elevate you to the next level. No, it was Bad News so, Barrett that won it. He beat Neville. Oh, so Bad News Barrett once, so he was King Barrett. Yeah, he was King Barrett, wasn't it? Yeah, it, Came it, out was, the... it was a, a special on the WWE Network that night. All right, so King Barrett, same thing. I yeah. mean, both of the guys are no longer in the company. That's true. So uh, it didn't really do something to elevate their career. I think <sighs> Wade Barrett was a fantastic talent that they missed the boat on. Absolutely. But... but um, I just, it needs to feel special again. It needs to feel special again. And I think that every opportunity that you can put on a, a, a great match that has to do with this tournament, 
you should do it. You should really do it. I think the the presentation and the hype going into it has been phenomenal so far, though, especially on Raw when they Mm -hmm. they did like the first hour and a half of Raw as like business as usual. And they kept hyping up. The King of the Ring starts tonight. The King of the Ring starts tonight. Every they go to a commercial break, they'd have the graphic up. Then they had that beautiful video montage about the history of the King of the Ring, and they really built it up. Like, okay, here's our first matchup. It's Samoa Joe versus Cesaro, which is like, if on paper those two guys to kick things off, incredible. I was I was so hyped and jazzed for that. And I, I think as far as that goes, I think they're doing a phenomenal job. They just need to pick up the steam. Yeah, I think they're doing a phenomenal job, too, in terms of making people excited about it. I think when the brackets came out, I was excited about it in terms of looking at the matches. We just have to really just, um, to to me, when you have these first-round matches, you're trying to build a story emotionally. So when the person does win the King of the Ring, you were with them through the entire journey. Yeah. So if you had a guy like, I don't know, uh, Ricochet or somebody that was going to win the King of the Ring tournament, then each match needs to be hard for him. It needs to be very competitive for him. So that way, when he does win, then it means something. So I don't know what, you know, we haven't really planted any seeds yet for what to expect later on in the tournament, but I think it should be interesting nonetheless but just so far i just think it just could be just a little bit better just better you know uh, that's just me being picky but i just think it just should be just a little bit better uh, a little more competitive more time and um, i'll be satisfied and i I, I think that they'll do that with the uh, next matches in the first now last week when we briefly touched up on king of the ring i i forgot who who was your pick to go all the way to win this i don't think we picked anybody um, no, we did because I, I was thinking it was going to be Andrade, and I remember you picked somebody else, but I can't remember. I think okay, so I, I'll I, if I did pick this person, it's because um, I think he needs it more than anybody else. But I think uh, Drew McIntyre should win. That's right. Um, that was who you you picked. Yeah, yeah, Drew McIntyre should definitely win um, because he needs something. We're doing this uh, whole Scotland gimmick, so. Um, we don't have to do it corny like we did with Seamus, mm-hmm. but we can do it in a way where, you know, it does something to build them. But I really think that he needs it. He needs it. Stand by. Well, Drew's on the raw side of things. And so if you pick Drew, um, <laughs> if you had to pick somebody that was going to win it from SmackDown, who would it be? Well, who's left? Um, we have Elias has advanced, Andrade has advanced, and then the remaining competitors would be Ali, Buddy Murphy, Chad Gable, and Shelton Benjamin. I think uh, we could probably, because they really are building up this whole thing with Buddy Murphy. So I would not be surprised if it's a Buddy Murphy, Drew McIntyre fight. And so far, Buddy Murphy's been putting on incredible matches every week, so... Maybe that will be the King of the Ring match in the opening round that'll get you excited is Ali versus Buddy Murphy. Yeah, because Ali, he's um, kind of lost some steam. He was in a he was in a uh, program with Shinsuke Nakamura, 
uh, which seemed like was starting, even though he was a fill-in for Finn Balor, and they just dropped it. <laughs> they just said, nope. So, and then they were doing these uh, vignettes. In fact, he had a vignette for uh, the King of the Ring that they said that was going to air on SmackDown, but based, to con- based on time constraints, they didn't air it. Yeah. So, he really needs it. He really needs it. Okay, fair enough. In terms of just going to the finals. Um, uh, well, no, I'm, I'm confusing people. Buddy Murphy, he's on a roll. You, you need to build him. He needs to go to the final, right, it, to name who the king of the ring is. Ali needs to put on a great match. You need to put him in a situation where he puts on a great match and he just barely won and could have won anyway. But you, you need. We need to showcase his wrestling ability once again. Yeah. And if the, uh, if the past two weeks are any indication of things, Buddy Murphy's the guy to do that for him this coming week. Yes. Yes. Buddy Murphy's been on the talk of the town. Um, yes. I know. I know when uh, when he had that match with Roman, everybody talked about. Oh yeah, it was a great match, but he got buried because he lost. That's not getting buried just because you lose a match. His profile was raised. Then the next week, Buddy Murphy had that great match with Daniel Bryan, and Daniel Bryan put him over. Right. Um, and it's only and it's only believable and means something because of the match that he had with Roman. Exactly. And that's what and that's what people don't understand. It's the psychology behind it. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't think that Buddy Murphy would have a chance against Daniel Bryan if he just wrestled Daniel Bryan on day one. Yeah. But when he wrestled Roman Reigns, and you're like, oh wow, he's this is a competitive match, and even though he lost the match. Now, when he goes into a, a match against Daniel Bryan, you think, oh, okay, well, he actually has a shit. Yep. Same thing that happened last year when they started putting Andrade in some of those matches with AJ Styles when he was the WWE champion. Um, right. Andrade never won those matches, but his stock rose. Yes. Yes. Same yes, situation here with Buddy Murphy. And I, I, I'm with you on that. Uh, Buddy Murphy, if he was in the finals, I would be thrilled. Um, of course, if he was in the finals, that would also mean that he would have to beat Andrade, which would be my pick. But I would say Buddy Murphy would probably be a good second pick for me if I had to choose uh, a second person. But that's two SmackDown guys. I had to pick somebody from Raw if they were going to win it. I would I would definitely go with Drew McIntyre as my first pick. And if I had to do a second one, uh, Baron Corbin. And I know really? I get a lot of heat for that. But yeah, well, Baron, Baron, like he—he's a solid worker. He knows how to get heat. It's just his gimmick is just non-existent. Uh-huh. And we just really have to just change it up. So if Baron Corbin did win, that would be great in terms of changing his gimmick up. Yeah. But we need more than just a gimmick change. You know, like I think it'd be a great story because he could say within a year he went from being a constable to a king. Yeah, but it's like, is that going to hurt the King of the Ring brand if he wins? Because he's just so disliked right now. I don't know. I guess like, it would when, all... you, when you... Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, it just all depends on what kind of matches that he has. Yeah, I don't think that... I definitely would put him over the Miz, for sure. But I just don't think that that... Um... He's been off of TV for a while, and he just pops up, you yeah. know, for this tournament. So 
he needs to have a pretty decent run in it, I guess, to try to reinvent who he is. But he, he's, he, he can be a great heel. He just needs a gimmick. Just like everyone for years was talking about how great Bray Wyatt was, but there was something missing. Mm-hmm. And then once he found that something missing, now everybody is, is clamoring to see him on TV. Yeah. So you or, find or, that or something missing. Or his game or his character in the game. Right, or that box. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Even though you got to pay $100 to get his character in the game, seems like. But, <laughs> yeah, everybody, yeah, everybody's clamoring to try to, 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 to get a, a piece of, of that real estate when it comes to Baron Corbin. I mean, I'm sorry, uh, Bray Wyatt, based off of him, you know, changing up his persona, his character, his gimmick, dropping some weight, you know, doing some things that, really have not been seen on a WWE stage. Yeah. So you do something with Baron where like it's interesting, then I think it will definitely work out for sure. I'm glad the WWE didn't do something stupid like put the fiend in the King of the Ring tournament. I think right, that would because, that would have killed everything. Right, because no one cares about he, his his character right now is we don't know what he's going to do. Yeah. That's his whole character right now. He took out Jerry Lawler on Raw. Right. So we don't know what he's going to do. So putting him in a tournament where it would create a focus is not going to make sense for his character. No. How would you handle The Fiend going into something like the Royal Rumble? Would you put him in the match like that? Only would put him in the match and have him eliminate somebody that he's going to be feuding with. You wouldn't have him win? No. Okay. Because it doesn't, this character is supposed to be based off of, as we see it, the dark side, Bray Wyatt. Yeah. So the dark side of Bray Wyatt, I would think, is not interested in any titles or championships or accolades. Mm-hmm. So as a character evolved, sure. But as for right now, and in the next upcoming months, no. All right, fair enough. That's a great point. Goes all, all, along with, with the, uh, the psyche of the character. Right. All right. Right on. Um, I know last week when we were talking about what we would discuss with King of the Ring, in addition to the tournament brackets and and whatnot, and kind of give our predictions and thoughts, which we just did, uh, share some of our favorite memories about uh, King of the Ring, just real quick, and then we'll move on to. Uh, to the uh, John Moxley story, which I think will be very interesting to talk about. Um, who, who, out of all the former King of the Rings, uh, excluding those that were King of the Ring before the pay per view in '93, um, from '93 up until right now, who is uh, your your favorite King of the Ring, and what are some of your favorite memories of the King of the Ring of, of past? Owen Hart. Um, is my favorite King of the Ring winner. Um, because he really, to me, he was the first person that really played up on that I'm royalty. Um, to me. Um, everyone else who won the King of the Ring, like, okay, that night you sat on the scepter. You sat on the scepter. It's <laughs> a whole different show. <laughs> you, you, you sat on the throne and you had the scepter and then you had the, you know, for that night. But like for him to continue 
it on and say that he's the king of hearts and all of that, like to really play up that regal side of it. He was the first one who did it. Like as time progressed, you know, you had other people who did it, of course, but King Mabel, <laughs> King Mabel. I love sure. it when they would have the guys carry him out to the ring. Cause you just see them straining like crazy, man. Right. Um, he was definitely one, um, King Booker. He definitely like reinvented his entire like King Booker now is seen as like an amazing thing, but at the time we didn't realize what we were getting. Yeah. But now looking back, it's man, that was great. But back then it was like, eh. But and King they, Booker They really pushed knew it, how to play you know? it up though, especially with like the music they gave him, how obnoxious it was. Right, and then I liked at first that he had um, William Regal with him, and William Regal was the first. I'll never forget it. Like he was the one that was saying, "Say all hail King Booker." Yeah, over and over and over and over and over again, over and over and over again. Right, so. He would keep saying it over and over. So I'll never forget. It was, uh, I think it was SmackDown. And he said it coming to the ring, right? Mm -hmm. And then the way he would say it wouldn't be like how Charmel says it. Oh, hell, King Booker. It wasn't like that. He would say it like real noble, like, oh, hell, King Booker. Oh, hell, King Booker. So... He said that all the way to the ring and in the middle of the ring and was saying in the ring. I'll never forget it. They went to commercial. And when they came back from commercial, he was still saying it. <laughs> and, and he had so much heat from the crowd and every it was just because oh, he just was saying it over and over like the whole it was just brilliant. So but for me his own heart. What what about for you? Um Owen Hart is definitely up there. Um I liked uh I, I liked the first King of the Ring pay per view when, when Brett won. Um because of the story that they told with it too. I mean Brett went through hell that night. And then when he got to the final Bam Bam had that bye. So it's like Bam Bam took on only one guy that night, but by the time he got to Brett, Brett had to take on two guys, and one of them was Mr. Perfect. And what a what a match that was. And then afterwards, when they were crowning Brett, and Jerry the King Lawler made his debut. And I thought that was so fitting, too, because here comes Lawler like, wait a minute, you're going to have a King of the Ring tournament and not have me in it? I, I just the overall storytelling behind that was great. And then to see like an, a really good old school face versus heel program. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, everything that you said about Owen Hart was fantastic. The, the, the fact that they were able to, to do the play on words with his last name, the King of hearts and then make a logo for him. And I liked it too, because of the story that they told that night as well. Ironically also included Bret Hart to a degree because Brett took on, I think what Brett took on um, Jerry Lawler that night as well in the Kiss My Foot match, right? With uh, Roddy Piper as the special guest referee? I think so. 
and Brett had Jim the Anvil Neidhart in his corner. Mm-hmm. And then later on that night, Jim the Anvil Neidhart came out and assisted Owen Hart. And so at the beginning of the night, when we first saw Jim Neidhart, he was a face. By the mm-hmm. end of the night, he was a heel. No, you know what? It was uh, Diesel. Uh, Brett took on Diesel because Roddy Piper took on uh, Jerry the King Lawler that night. But anyway, okay. Um, I think I think the first three King of the Rings were very memorable. Brett, because of what you know, what he had to go through to get it, and then the aftermath. It wasn't just a one-off. Owen right. for what they did. Um, with the whole thing with, with Jim Neidhart and then how he carried on the King of the Ring afterwards. And then the same mm-hmm. thing for King Mabel. He owned that gimmick, King Mabel. Um, mm-hmm. When Austin won it, he didn't really like take on the whole King aspect of it, but it was such a great turning point for the guy's career. I mean, it would never have the Steve Austin we know today if it wasn't for that. Yeah, and then there was a good story for him because it was like, he really introduced the Stone Cold Stunner in that tournament, yeah. right? Then he had the match against, uh, I think it was Mark Merrow, where he um, had his chin basically split open, split open. Yeah, his lip. His lip, right? Mm-hmm. So then so then you see that graphic image, and then he comes back, and then they go, to, oh, he's back. And he has this vicious you know, maneuver, like this, this neckbreaker-type maneuver, right? Yeah. So then... On the other side, the opposite end of the spectrum is you're building up Jake the Snake Roberts as being completely, you know, born again Christian, and and he would come out and he would have like Bible scriptures on his tights or shirt. He used to wear like that shirt or whatever that was like he would wrestle in. I call it a shirt, but it's like a and just really building him up to be that redemption story that if he would have won then it would have made perfect sense if he won. Yeah. Right? But then Austin beats him. Yeah. And, and it was also and, great, too, because Jake the Snake had to get through Vader. Yeah, yeah. So they kind of had the, the deck stack against him there, too, because they also had Jim Cornette in the corner. Yeah. So I just think back then, because we mentioned a couple of first-round matches in explaining these old King of the Rings, and it's like, when we mentioned these couple of first round matches, it's like, okay, um, we get it now. Well, those, in terms of what we were talking about just now with the old ones, those weren't really first round matches; those were quarterfinals. Because nobody well, remembers like like nineteen ninety six opening round, the first round stuff. I mean, we don't remember okay. Justin Hawk Bradshaw versus Henry Godwin. Don't remember Stone Cold versus Bob Holly or Marty Jannetty versus. Simon well, I Bates. guess. Well, I guess I guess the difference is this. A lot of those matches were labeled as qualifying. Yeah. Not necessarily like if they labeled these matches that we just saw as maybe qualifying matches, mm-hmm. then I wouldn't be so strict on it, okay. so hard on it. If they were just qualifying matches, because now when you get deeper into the tournament, because now you qualified the tournament and you qualified to compete in the tournament, and then now the matches are better. Then I'm like, okay, now this is the king of the ring. Yeah. So I agree to what you said there, but I, but those matches were qualifying the ones that no one actually 
paid attention to. But now once you get to the actual pay-per-view event, all of those matches mean something because everybody has qualified to be on the pay-per-view event. That's true. To face each other. That's true. I, I think a thing that hurts it today, too, is back then it was all in one night. This yeah. one's going to be stretched across three weeks with one match ending at a pay-per-view. I think that hurts it, too. I mean, the whole mystique about the King of the Ring was who was going to survive the night. Right, right. Right. And then it was, yeah, I, I agree with that. Yeah, I, th- I think that's probably the biggest key component to making the King of the Ring special is having it as a one-night tournament. Well, there's one person that we mentioned that, or we didn't mention that won the King of the Ring. Um, Brock Lesnar. 2002. Do you think that elevated his career? I don't think it was, I don't think necessarily the label of King of the Ring did it. I think because that one year was a very unique situation where they said that the, you know, oh, because the Royal Rumble winner goes to WrestleMania to get a title shot, let's have the King of the Ring go to SummerSlam to get a title shot. I think it was more of he was he earned a title shot mm-hmm. that got him over more than he was the King of the Ring because now you knew right. that he was going to SummerSlam. And it, he right. was even less than six months from when he debuted. He was three months in. Right. And it was just unheard of for a guy like that. I mean, before that, what, the closest that you got to somebody like that was Kurt Angle. It took him about a full year before he finally got right. the belt. And now here comes yeah. Brock Lesnar just annihilating everybody. And now he's going into uh, uh, SummerSlam, which at the time, I think, what, in King of the Ring, The Undertaker was the champion. So you thought, oh, my God, we're going to see The Undertaker and Brock Lesnar. This is going to be just amazing. And then the next mm-hmm. month, Undertaker dropped it in that triple threat match, and it was The Rock. And then you had that beautiful buildup with The Rock versus Brock where they were training. The, what was it? Brock Le- who, I think it was The Rock that was running up and down like the bleachers and stuff, right? Yeah, and, and um, the Miami's Hurricane uh, – um... College, what was the name of the college? University of Miami um, College, wherever college he went to. Yeah, they were yeah. showing him running up and down the bleachers. And then, you know, Lesnar was doing like the basically the old barbaric wrestling type training, you know? Yeah. It was like, like watching Rocky done, and, uh, and Rocky Four. Right, right. So that that was a very good buildup. Which I don't know why they don't do, but they don't show those type of buildups anymore. Because like when you show them guys working out and trying to get in the best shape, kind of subliminally paints a picture in your mind. Because that's what happens in all professional sports. Um, when there's an off season, getting ready to go into the actual season of something, the guys get in the best shape that they possibly can. If there's a fight coming up, people get in the best shape to make weight for that particular fight. So there's different things that are done to, you know, subliminally uh, let people know, like, okay, when these two guys go at it or when these two teams go at it or when the season starts, these guys are going to give their absolute best. So they should do those type of vignettes more. Um, It would have been nice to see, like, a Lesnar versus um, Seth Rollins vignette uh, leading into their SummerSlam match to make it mean something more rather than it just being an injury situation. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, stuff like that just adds to the story. It adds to 
uh, the growth of the characters too, because now they're not just like out there cutting promos. Right. You know, um, instead of telling us something, show us something. And that's, that's the beauty right. of the vignette. It's like the, the art of that is lost just like with, you know, the art of the, the, the manager from back in the day. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, and I think that's WWE is a huge reason why that stuff is, is going away because their show's getting too polished. Um, and it just doesn't feel like wrestling anymore when watching it. It just, it feels like it's way, way too produced. I agree. I agree. I think that, you know, there's a lot that these guys do to get in shape and then there's a lot. And then, and then now we're at the age of information where if I wanted today to say, I want to get into fantastic shape, um, there are, various programs, YouTube videos, things I can get for free in terms of resources to get into that phenomenal type of shape. So with all that being said and and being in this type of shape and and mentality and stuff like that, that people are in now because of this being the quote-unquote information age, then we should really see more um, information about how these guys train. And I think that would give a little bit more respect. Like a guy like Braun Strowman, like he got into incredible shape. Incredible shape. Um when he when he came in to pair compared to now, I mean this guy is ripped, he's chiseled, he's just a totally different person now. And it would have been great to kind of see his journey maybe on on a big match that he had build, building up to, to something to see how he got into shape, especially when all that information is so readily available to people these days. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I'm hoping that when they move over to Fox Sports or Fox, you know, mm-hmm. um, I, I'm hoping that maybe uh, maybe Fox will ask them to do more stuff like that because it would be very sports-centric. Right, right. Right. So it, it, it should be interesting. But um, what I'll tell you I'm anxious to get into is I'm anxious to get into this whole John Moxley thing. Yep. Let's uh, let's go ahead and uh, dive into that before we head out for the evening. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to go ahead and read the report. Of course, everybody knows by now. But anyway, uh, All Elite Wrestling has been throwing a major curveball for next week's all-out pay-per-view. John Moxley will not be able to compete against Kenny Omega in one of the most anticipated matches of the pay-per-view broadcast. Moxley has been diagnosed with a MRSA staph infection in his arm after competing over the uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling G1 Climax Tournament. He will not be cleared in time for the all-out pay-per-view. And uh, AEW has officially announced that replacing John Moxley in his match against Kenny Omega um, at the pay-per-view all-out at the Sears Center in Chicago, Illinois, is going to be former WWE superstar known as Neville, now known as Pac. Well, formerly known as Pac, now no one, you, you get what I'm saying. Yes. So, first off, before we jump, jump into that, uh, definitely do want to wish John Moxley a very healthy and speedy recovery with that. Um, that's a very, very serious situation. Very serious, it. yeah. Yeah. Um, and it sucks that that's happened. That, that's happening with them. 
uh, especially after everything that went down a few years back when he was um, with the WWE and he had that um, the surgery that kept him out of action. And he had the staph infection then too. So this is uh, it's not even like this is the first time he's had it. This is a, a returning situation there for Dean Ambrose or John Moxley, whatever you want to call him. Uh, what are your thoughts on... John Moxley having a contract with AEW and being allowed to work outside of the promotion. Um, I never liked it. Um, I think that John Moxley should have, and maybe you've talked about this off the air, but I think it should have been a situation with John Moxley where, you know, we should have not seen as much as we've seen of him. The buzz, the mystery, the, all that intrigue, all that stuff, that was around John Moxley died because he overexposed himself. So with him doing so much overexposure of himself and, and working the Indies and being a champion over there in New Japan, it just didn't make any sense for him to have to do all of that, knowing that he's going to be a part of a major wrestling promotion that's going to be on national TV and they're going to be airing every single week. So you've already, you know, unless it's an issue where he needs money, which I doubt that it's an issue where he needs money. Um, I don't know why you would work as many indies have, as you've worked or as, as many matches as you work, because I'm sure AEW is giving you a very big contract. And he could have negotiated something in his contract too, and say, hey, look, you know, I'm going to need a bonus here on top of, you know, signing this contract because – you know, I want to do something special with this character for you guys. So if I am 100% committed to you guys and not to any indie dates, then I'm going to have to be compensated on what I would charge for those indie dates. He could have worked that out in his contract. Because basically, the same day that he was released, he was able to take bookings. He says reportedly that is the same time that he started having conversations with Tony Khan. So everybody reached everybody reached out to him around the same time period and said to him, hey, look, you know, we want to book you for this. We want to book you for that um, once he was available. So he could have been very strategic with it, took some time off, healed his body because he didn't make a comment on Jericho's podcast. He said that um, when he was in the WWE, um, he was working out. And he was working out to look good. So now when he works out, he works out and trains like an athlete. So he works on his dexterity, on his range of motion, on his quickness, on all of these things that basketball players and football players train on to get themselves better. That's what he's training on to really get him to that particular level where he is a premier um, athlete. So he's trained himself differently and he said he's getting his body adjusted to that. He could have just really taken this time, heal up, spend time with his wife whenever his wife comes off the road and just get himself together. But instead, he decided to go to Japan, which to me, if you're going to be a person that's going to be working for a major corp uh, 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 corporation company, whatever, and it's going to be on national television, the absolute worst thing you can do 
is to go to Japan and work strong style. Yeah. Especially for a, a whole month long in a tournament. Yeah. So I, I just didn't think that was smart. And I think Tony Khan um, doesn't understand the wrestling business well enough to know that injuries happen and they happen frequently. And you may want to be the nice guy and give them freedom and stuff like that, but you're going to be investing a lot of capital into these people. So you got to make sure that you protect your investment. You got to make sure that you, if you don't protect um, your quote unquote investment, then when stuff like this happens, then it becomes a problem. I, I agree. Um, and I know like a lot of fans, including myself, you know, we get to a point where like, if there's somebody that we really like, we want to see them everywhere. But at the same time, we also have to look at somebody's health. Um, we have to, it, especially like he, what Moxley, one of his complaints was about the, the schedule, right? With WWE and whatnot, not being able to do his own thing when he finally does it. And Nobody can blame the WWE schedule for him being injured this time around. They can't blame the WWE uh, medical staff for any misdiagnosis or any of that stuff. This is now all on him and the promotion he was working for and the stuff that he had done this past month. It's all on him, um, which is funny because you don't really hear anybody saying, you know, like, well, he, God, he's an idiot for doing what he did, uh, as opposed to a year ago. If this would have happened, they would have said, oh, the, you know, if WWE would lighten up their schedule, this would never happen to guys. Um, right. And I agree with you about Tony Khan. I mean, you, if you're investing money, especially big money in a big name, you want to, whether it's wrestling business or not, I mean, it's just in, in business. I mean, you want to protect your investments. You want return on investment, um, mm -hmm. especially going into something as big as a weekly TV deal with TNT or even what could arguably be your biggest pay-per-view of the year with mm -hmm. a program that you have been building or been trying to build for for past couple of months. Why? Why would you let the guy do that? Now, if, if it was a situation, if he had got that book booking out there in Japan before signing with AEW, buy buy that time out. Give give that money. You you can afford it, Tony. Can give that money to New Japan and uh, uh, and a little bit more on top of that, and say, look, I'm buying his time. It's kind of like when Flash Funk. Two Cold Scorpio went to the WWE. Mm -hmm. Paul Heyman had that that deal in place that Scorpio was kind of sponsored. So every time he was on there, they would have an ad for um, a, a production company or an, a music artist. It was somebody. And Paul Heyman really needed that money every week. If he lost Scorpio, he lost the sponsorship. So Vince McMahon gave that same amount of money to Paul Heyman to allow Paul Heyman to say, you know what, you can have... Scorpio. Tony Khan should have done the same thing with Dean Ambrose. Any deal that was, or agreement for bookings that was made before that ink dried on that contract should have been bought. Right. 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 I, I, and then the other thing too is, I don't know if you know about this, but I'm going to read this to you. Um, cause this came in late last night. I don't know if you read about this, but, um, they have another, uh, possible major injury um 
that will affect one of their major matches at um, this upcoming pay-per-view All Out. Mm. Um, just weeks before the big event, Ray Phoenix of the Lucha Brothers tag team with Pentagon Jr. suffered an apparent leg injury while working a match for big-time wrestling promotion Pawtucket, Rhode Island on Friday night. The injury happened when the Lucha Brothers were taking on Juventu Guerrero, Teddy Hart, and tag team action, and Phoenix collapsed in the ring, grabbing his leg after picking up Hart after blasting him with the super. Oh, man. Phoenix, Phoenix reportedly rolled out of the ring and waved to the back for help. The, the back people in the back came and assisted him to the backstage area as the match in the ring immediately went to the finish. Early reports coming out of Friday night is that Phoenix may have suffered a broken leg. Oh, no. So that was updated at 9.22 last night. And um, somebody, I guess, that's very close to him, another worker, uh, I don't know her. Um, Taya Valkyrie, Valkyrie. I don't know her. Yeah, that's uh, John Morrison's uh, or Johnny Nitro, Johnny Impact, whatever you want to call him. That's his wife. Okay, I don't personally know her, but um, or, or or know know of the name. But they just spoke to Phoenix, and he's going to be okay. Thank God, no break. Thank God. Wow. Okay, so I want to get your thoughts on that because they've been building up here on their YouTube program because if you remember it's going to be the Lucha Brothers against the Young Bucks in a tag team match. Ladder match. Well I think it's thanks for the triple A titles. Yep. Um in a ladder match. Yep. And he has a leg injury. What do you think of this? I it goes with the exact same thing that we were talking about with John Moxley man. Um I don't. What kind of match were they having at this uh, at this show? Would you would you say it was big time wrestling? Yeah, it was just a regular tag team match. It wasn't any type of gimmick to it. Oh, uh, two out of three falls match at this big time wrestling. Yeah, event? I'm, I, I'm seeing the tweet right now. Yeah, I, but I don't know if they had any gimmicks with the two out of three falls. I think it was just regular two out of three falls. But still, that's. I mean, that's. I guess that's beside the point because there's no gimmicks to it. It wasn't a hardcore match. It wasn't a ladder match or anything like that. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't, I just don't get why they would do that, especially seven days before the pay-per-view, or in that case, eight days. I mean, still a week, a week before the damn pay-per-view. Why are you going to put yourself into something like that? I don't get it either. Um, Maybe they thought they'd you know, be safe in the ring with uh, veterans like Hoovy and Teddy Hart. But you, but you can't. Like I don't care how safe that you feel you're going to be. There's too much on the line to keep having these guys, and this is a problem that I put on Tony Khan because I think in the negotiation process with these guys, and John Moxley even hinted to it. So the reason why he signed with AEW is because they allowed him to do his thing. Right. Yeah, yeah. So I think they didn't want the guys to feel as if they were trapped. You know, I think they wanted them to feel like you had some say in the matter when it came to certain situations. I can so, understand that and I can appreciate that. But from a business standpoint, 
if you're shelling out this money, you have a vision for the future, you have to protect that future by protecting it right now. Right, right. Um, especially, I mean, this is another high-profile match. This is just up there with Omega and Moxley. This is a ladder match with the Young Bucks and the Lucha Brothers. You got the AAA tag titles on the line, and I'm pretty sure the Lucha Brothers are going to be a a big staple in the tag team division for the company going forward. Hell, they might even become the first ever AEW tag team champions. We don't know. But, I mean, come on, guys. Can you imagine if he was out of action and they had to make another announcement? A week before the pay-per-view, you pull out two of your biggest names. Yeah, that's as and, and and these matches, especially the latter match, because like I said on their show, they've been really putting over like the Yomucks putting over. Oh man, we're gonna do some stuff that no one's ever seen. Like you've never seen us do this on the ladder match, and this is gonna be possibly one of the greatest tag team ladder matches of all time. Like they've been really building that up, and I know that is one of the like these are two mains. These are not like these are the things that sell shows. So uh, you just really have an event where there's a bunch of guys that are just wrestling at this point. And the other thing, too, I'd like to mention is that they've been talking about sellouts, 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 sellouts. Well, the last two events that they announced have not sold out. The event in, um, I think it's in uh, Charleston. Hmm. And I believe Boston. Maybe it's not Boston. Maybe it's another state. Maybe people but, were hoping to see John Moxley, and now that he's out of the pay per view, they don't know if he's going to be there for TV. Yeah, but ba- basically, like it is, they they put all this emphasis on selling out, selling out, and when whenever they did do it, didn't have a big old announcement about it. These television tapings have not sold out. Yeah, they did not sell out in thirty minutes. Tickets are still on sale. They're still available. You can go and get them, but. Overall, it's like I blame I blame management. I blame Tony Khan because you got to get these guys out of the indie mind state. And hopefully, you know, there's no other injuries that take place before, you know, the pay-per-view happens. So, yeah. And hopefully today, today's I, Saturday. We got tomorrow, Sunday. And, you know, wrestling events always run Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Right, and then hopefully after the pay-per-view, because I don't know um, if any guys have any bookings in that month of September, but hopefully after the pay-per-view, there's no situations where somebody's working something before they debut on TV, and then they get hurt. Yeah, so, absolutely. I would have a, a all hands on deck as far as getting as much media relations as you can with your guys, get their names out there without having to work events. Or if they're going to work events... You know, um, put up some kind of some kind of uh, retainer or something like that, so at least like they can get some of that money back too, and that they're going to be spending on those guys. And I, I know there's probably going to be somebody listening to this and be like, "Man, you guys are always talking about oh, the money and all that shit. It's not about the money; it's about humans." And it is. And and we're we're really looking for the welfare of these guys. Um, we don't want them injured. We what happened with John Moxley is unfortunate. It really is, man. I, I you know going into this, this was going to be a huge moment for his career. This was going to be his way of saying, you know what? I can have a big, high-profile match in a program with a guy that can go in the ring on a big platform and help elevate this brand-new company. And now he can't do it. 
And it sucks, man. It really does. And then the scare with one of the Lucha Brothers, I mean, God dang it, man. And then going into the ladder match, you know they're going to have to fucking baby that leg. He's not going to be able to, to do as much as he wanted to do now. Yeah, you're going to have to really... Um, because the fact that... I mean, it, it's it's one thing to say, okay, thank God, no break. But you don't really know the extent of the injury until the next day. Yeah. So a lot of basketball players, like they get hurt on the court and they get right back up and then they walk off the court but they have a little limp. Well, what happens is they can't really do any type of x-ray or anything until that swelling goes down. So the fact that he collapsed and he needed help out of the ring and it seemed based off of the spot that they explained, it seemed like this was just off of a simple super kick. Oh, man. So this could be this this and this is a super kick that he delivered. So the injuries where nobody touches you are the worst ones because that means something in your body just shut down or broke or cracked or or, or dislocated or something. Tore. This was a super kick he was so, delivering. Yeah, but based off of based off of uh, the article that I read, let me see if I pull that How up. How hard again. did he slap his leg? I don't know if it was even a slap. I think it was just, you know, they. I don't know if a guy came off the top rope or what. I don't know what happened, but uh, whatever. Well, it was whatever. More, of a, more of a little inside joke there. Okay, I missed it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> in, in 2019, it's it's obvious, you know, guys are slapping their legs, giving super kicks now than 20 years ago. I'm trying to read. Okay, okay so. Okay, so this is what happened. So he grabbed his leg after he blasted Hart with the super kick. Mm. So he super kicked Teddy Hart, right? Teddy Hart falls to the ground. Then he picks Teddy Hart up, but then he grabs his leg to the point that he collapses in the ring and has to roll out of the ring. So that's that's not good, man. No. Not at all. That's not good. That's not good. So... It's a learning experience for uh, Teddy Hart. It's a learning experience for AEW. I'm not Teddy Hart. Um, It's a learning experience for John Moxley. It's a learning experience for Phoenix Jr. It's a learning experience for Tony Khan. These guys now understand Tony Khan from a perspective of, hey, I got to figure out, you know, maybe a year from now or maybe a few months from now, how I can get these other guys out. Cause you have a guy like, um, uh, MJF who he, if you remember, had a major injury to his elbow. Mm-hmm. And I think he had to pull out of one of the events. Didn't he? I believe so. Yeah. I think he had to pull, did he have to pull out of this pay-per-view? Um, I don't know. I just closed the card out. Let me see if I can pull it back up here real quick. If he if he's not if he's not booked to wrestle anywhere, then yes, because I I remember reading that he had a, a major elbow injury, something like that. He might have had to pull. Out, you know what? I think he pulled out of an indie event going to work because he had of that elbow injury. But I don't yeah. know the extent of it. I'm not seeing him anywhere on the card for uh yeah, next, so, next week. Yeah, so that, you know, whatever that elbow injury that he got, like, that affected him as well, too. So, 
you know, these are the, the cornerstones of your company, man. Yeah. And everybody says, oh, it's the injury bug. It's, it's uh, injuries can happen. Things happen. You got to be ways to prevent it, though, this. too. Yeah, yeah, there is. There really is. Hopefully things change. It's funny that we're we're saying that about AEW because they're the company that's supposed to bring the change to the industry. But they're with what happened here, not saying it was them, but I'm saying that because of what happened in this past 48 hours in the wrestling business with the injury stuff, it's kind of set back the in the the industry just a little bit. Right for an era that we're supposed to be getting a brand new promotion that's supposed to be bringing change for the good. So just saying, but anyway, um, that about wraps it up for this week. We're kind of running out of time here. Uh, yes. but, uh, Mac, you have any, uh, shout outs or plugs or anything like that you want to give out there before we head out? Uh, check out until com. Um, we're going to be launching, uh, very, very soon in terms of the new look. Um, Something that I've been working on feverishly for quite some time. So um, we always want to put that over. So check out until2.com. And um, there's another thing I have to say. This is actually personal advice to people out there. Um, you know, I've, I've when we started doing this show, uh, which I think we started at the beginning of the summer, um, doing shows like this. The show originally evolved from doing uh, rebooked, which we love doing those shows, but it's just been so much going on that, um, you know, we had to talk about it and we just find that found ourselves talking about it. We're like, why not do a show about it? Um, this is for personal advice for anybody out there. Uh, when you guys are going through situations in life, period, um, you got to always take care of yourself first. Um, everybody when they're going through things and situations, um, if you have a big heart, I'm a big hearted person. Um, this person, uh, he won't probably admit it openly, but, uh, the webmaster, that ring scoop guy, he's a big hearted person as well, too. Is that a fat those joke? Type... <laughs> no. Um, <All> right. <laughs> yeah, but, but, but when you are a, big-hearted person, not an enlarged heart person, and that would be a sad joke. <laughs> yeah. uh, when when you're a big heart person, um, you tend to put other people before yourself. So always keep in mind what your goal is, is that's to take care of yourself first and foremost. So that way you will be more inclined and more better equipped to take care of other people that are surrounding you and your family, your significant other, friends, relatives, girlfriends, boyfriends, husbands, wives, whatever. But make sure that you take care of yourself. Mental health is a big thing as well, too. So I felt to say that today. I I totally agree with you on that, man. Um, it may sound selfish when somebody says something like, got to take care of number one. But you if, you, if you're not at 100%, you can't take care of anything else. You have to be at 100%. You have to be able to take care of yourself before you're able to even move on to think about taking care of, of some something else or somebody else. So yes, I'm, absolutely. I'm with you on that. Totally with you on that. Um, 
Also, everybody out there, let's not forget about this. I'm sure you probably did, Mac. But uh, Mac has a, a YouTube channel that everybody can check out, and we have a shortcut URL to that as well. And that's uh, you can go to Mac. That's M-A-K, Mac.ringscoops.com. Take you to, to Mac's YouTube channel. He's got great content up there for everybody to check out. And don't forget to subscribe and leave your feedback on, on his videos. And thank you for that plug. Uh, anytime, man. And of course, ladies and gentlemen, you can also follow Ring Scoops on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at Ring Scoops, twitch.tv slash Ring Scoops guy, and prowrestlingtees.com slash Ring Scoops for all your Ring Scoops gear. Until next time, I'm that Ring Scoops guy on behalf of Mac saying thank you, good night, and be cool.